every black and brown person I know who's made it to the top of their game, however they define it, has done so not only because of the systems change we talk a lot about, but also because someone made a way for them. Someone made the way, right? And so we need more way makers to do that for more people. This is Inclusion Begins With Me, conversations that matter. I'm your host, Dr. Cindy Pace, Vice President and Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at MetLife. Our podcast examines the pivotal role people play in creating inclusive workplaces that are built for the future. How does inclusion impact our well-being? Why is it a business imperative? In each episode, we weave together storytelling and research-driven conversations with globally recognized authors, experts, and DEI practitioners. On the show, we tackle steps that each of us can take to advance DEI. In this episode, we're talking about waymaking. Tara J. Frank is an equity strategist and author of the book, The Waymakers, clearing the path to workplace equity with competence and confidence. Tara's book serves as a guide for anyone who wants to advance DEI in their workplace. She says you don't have to be a high-level leader or C-suite executive to be a waymaker. Waymaking means sharing access and creating connections, something Tara knows all about. Tara started her career by writing greeting cards at Hallmark and stayed there for over 20 years, serving in roles from vice president of business innovation to corporate culture advisor to the president of Hallmark. Today, Tara runs a successful culture and leadership consulting firm. My work was always about relationships. That was the heart of everything I did, from the greeting card role, right, where it was my responsibility to better understand what human beings were motivated by, how they behaved in relationship with one another, what they needed to hear from one another, how they repaired relationships, built them, you know, what they did to make them even deeper. So this whole idea of what we need as people in order to feel our best and to be our best in relationship with others is something that has carried me through every single role I've ever had. So started thinking about the marketplace, right? What do people out there need in order to feel enriched uh, and connected And then as I started to get different leadership roles throughout my career, it became for me a lot more about the talent, um, how to inspire and equip the talent to be able to bring those solutions to the marketplace, right, in a way that was meaningful and sustainable. Amazing. So, you know, we're all excited about your new book. Thank you. The Waymakers. (laughs) So let's talk about that. The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to workplace equity with competence and confidence. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, what is a waymaker? 
mm-hmm. and why this book now on waymaking? Why should this be our guide? Yeah, such a great question. My favorite question. So simply put, a waymaker is anyone who has a heart to lead, who is willing to open doors for other people, especially those who have been cast aside, right, shut out, who is willing to remove barriers intentionally, you know, pointedly, and usher people through to greater levels of contribution. It's a little bit different in my mind and heart than an ally. I think what we mean by allyship is all the right things, but how people are starting to interpret it, I believe, is a little bit passive. You know, I'm supporting you. I'm cheerleading. I'm hoping for the best for you. I look at a waymaker as someone who is actively, you know, consistently making a way every step of the game. Tara explains that waymakers take time to learn about their coworkers' aspirations. They can make introductions and bring talented people who may otherwise have been overlooked into conversations about new opportunities. That's first, oh, look, Cindy's over here in this meeting. I don't think I've had a chance to meet her. I probably should. Let me make the connection. Oh, I'm not really sure what Cindy is aspiring to in this company. Let me ask. Oh, I don't really know what her experiences have been, right? The results she's driven. I want to better understand that so that if I have an opportunity to connect a position, right, or a project with Cindy's aspiration, with Cindy's experience, I'm going to go on and make that way. That is what a waymaker does. Those are the kinds of choices waymakers make. Those are the kinds of behaviors waymakers exhibit. Whole lot of intentionality and focus and honestly courage. I was spending time in these rooms with C-suite teams over the last couple years, and I noticed that many of them had three things in common. The first is most of them wanted to do the right thing. The second is they didn't always know what the right thing was. And the third is they felt increasingly unsure about how to step into it. They didn't want to insult, offend, or bring, you know, what we call reputational risk upon themselves, which can create a sort of paralysis. So I wanted to write a guidebook, if you will. I don't like to call it that necessarily, but that's ultimately what people have told me it is. You know, I wanted to Mm -hmm. write a guidebook that helped those leaders know, those leaders with a heart to lead know where to start, how to step into the work, the right questions to ask what it looks like to build bridges, right? And essentially how to make a way day in and day out. And the other piece of that, Cindy, is I know for myself, I'm sure you know for yourself, that every black and brown person I know who's made it to the top of their game, however they define it, has done so not only because of the systems change we talk a lot about, but also because someone made a way for them. Someone made the way, right? And so we need more way makers to do that for more people. Someone made a way. I really like that. And it also reminds me a bit of how we've talked about sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd love to get your point of view about being a way maker. Does it relate in any way to sponsorship? Is Are there similarities and differences? And if so, what are they? I think Waymakers sponsor people, but they do more than that. 
as well. So when we talk about sponsorship now, you know, what we're saying are things like bringing up your name in a room, you know, when you're not there, recommending you for opportunities that might help you grow, right? These are the kinds of things that sponsors do. Sponsorship is critical. We all know that because we've been sponsored. We've been sponsors. We've talked about sponsorship on the podcast. It's a way leaders advocate for the people they want to support in the workplace and help them advance in their careers. Tara explains that sponsorship and waymaking overlap. But to be a waymaker, you don't necessarily have to be a high-level leader. In any entity, you have what I call the power core. So in the center of that organization or entity are the people who have the power. And in the middle with them would be insight, unwritten rules, stakes in the ground, right, et cetera, access to knowledge centers, to power networks, and opportunity. So the people who are most like those in power have the closest proximity to the insight, access, and opportunity. And those Mm -hmm. are the things they need in order to build successful careers. Well, the more different you are from the people in power, the further removed you are from the insight, access, and opportunity. And you don't have to be an executive vice president or a president or a CEO to share insight with someone. You don't have to be a CEO to share access with someone, right? To make a connection that might be meaningful to another person. So there are so many ways, I believe, to make a way that aren't contingent on how we talk about sponsorship today, but I certainly see the act of sponsorship and the act of making a way overlapping. So I'm looking at the roles that you've held, and now you are CEO of a leading culture and leadership consultancy working with Fortune 50 companies, Fortune 500 companies, public, private sector, academic, you are consulting across a number of of sectors. How was it for you navigating at the highest levels of leadership, even making it? How did you break through and progress at that level to a point where you were able to perform? How did that come together for you? And Were there waymakers in your midst? I'd like to be able to say to you, you know, from day one of starting my consultancy, (laughs) I had everything lined up and I just, you know, created my strategy and I worked my plan. That's not how any of this works. You know, you, you know that so much of it is about relationships. It's about, um, you know, pouring yourself into a body of work, bringing to it all of your insight and your expertise and your experience, and hoping that it makes an impact in the very beginning. You know, all you can do in the beginning when you start a consultancy is believe that you have experience and expertise that matters, is engage with people at whatever level you can in the beginning in a way that adds value, right? Distinctive value. And being responsive, being reliable, showing up, being collaborative. And that's how I approached the business in the very beginning. And what I found is that the way I approached the work, you know, the questions I would ask, the creativity that I brought to some of the problems we identified, 
was something that my clients really valued tremendously. I think also the reality that I have been a business leader because many of us who find ourselves in this DEI space as consultants, we all come to it from different places, right? Some of us are, you know, in academia, some of us are researchers at heart, others grew up in organizational development, you know, HR. There are just so many ways to come to this work. I came to the work recognizing that the marketplace was changing dramatically. And in order to meet marketplace demands, we had to evolve our talent strategies too. Otherwise, we would always be doing focus groups, trying to ask people on the outside what we should do on the inside. Mm -hmm. So because I've been a business leader, because I've developed product, because I've engaged in retail strategy, because I understand some of those really you know, unique challenges and opportunities, I found that my clients and the kinds of companies I work with really could relate to me you know, to not only the expertise I brought to their challenges, but also to my stories, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to my background, to my experiences. So it built over time, honestly. Well, can you share more about what waymaking looks like? Is there mm-hmm. a particular story or person that stands out that would be a really great example for us to understand how it looks in reality and what are some of the behaviors? Yes. Around waymaking. Yeah. When I was in corporate, we, of course, would be in succession planning conversations like everybody is. Right. And there was this one time that we decided we were going to spend a little less time on succession planning than normal. So they said, we're only going to talk about the top 10. We got in the room. I looked at the top 10. There was not one black person on the top 10. There were other black people, though, I knew of who we had said in the past were high potential who we thought could do more in the organization. I let everybody get through all the 10. I was the only black person in the room, get through all the 10 people. And then I said, that was awesome. Okay, now I'd like to talk about so-and-so and so-and-so. And And they were like, well, we said we were going to talk about, I said, I understand that. But everybody on the top 10 are people we always talk about. We invest in them time and time again. We give them repeated opportunities to show and prove to expand their competence, right? To demonstrate new behaviors and skills. Meanwhile, there are people over here we're not giving that opportunity to. And they're stagnating as a result. And so I feel like we need to talk about them so that we can put them in the learning loop, right? And continue to give people equal access to be great. (laughs) So waymaking can also look like interrupting the bullet train that is bias. I see bias as a bullet train. Like if you don't interrupt it, it will always go where it's always gone. It'll always pick up who it's always picked up. It'll never stop anywhere new or do anything new. It's just on its route. We as waymakers have to interrupt those trains, those trains of thought, those trains mm-hmm. of action, right? Those decision-making trains. We have to interrupt them to insert a new thought a new idea, a new decision. Tara researched examples like this one for her book. As part of a study, she asked hundreds of employees to tell stories about times they felt respected and appreciated, as well as moments they felt invisible and underappreciated. 
We culled those hundreds of stories for exactly what you just asked about, for choices and behaviors. Choices that leaders made, behaviors leaders exhibited, choices peers made, Cindy, and behaviors peers exhibited, right, that helped them realize these emotional states. To go a step further, what was interesting is we learned that when people feel seen, it actually leads to talent attraction. Things like, you know, people referring your company or telling their friends and family that they should come work there. We saw that when people feel respected, that led to true belonging. We saw when people felt valued, that was most closely tied to retention, to intent to stay. We found when people felt protected, that's what unleashed their creativity. That's what led to business innovation. So all of this is really rooted in these choices and behaviors you ask me about. So they're everywhere from, is everyone on my team clear about what it takes to get to the next level? Have I chosen to clearly communicate, you know, the path forward for someone? Am I choosing to give you feedback in a timely and direct way when it counts, not when you ask me a promotion and I'm just really trying to give you a reason as to why you can't get promoted? Um, Those are the kinds of choices Waymakers make. They also, you know, connect people to folks who can inspire them, inform them and equip them. They also ask outright, as I mentioned earlier, what their people aspire to. They coach them toward aspiration, Mm. not against their weaknesses, but toward their aspiration, which is even a step further, if I can, than coaching their strengths. So if you tell me, Cindy, you know, I think a strength I have is communication right? And relationship building, or we discover that together, I can coach you on your strengths and make you a stronger communicator, right? And give you more opportunities to build relationships. But if you tell me there's this job over here that I'm really interested in, and it's external affairs, me coaching you on your communication and relationship building doesn't necessarily get you to this job you want. A waymaker coaches toward aspiration. So those are just a few examples of the choices and behaviors that Waymakers make and exhibit. What you've shared with us today as an example, that is so critical for Waymaking because it's in those moments, in these talent succession discussions, these talent planning discussions, is where decisions are made, where people are talking about openings that are not on the job board yet, correct? And may never be, let's be honest. May never be, may not even be a role, Mm -hmm. but we're just talking about you, your attributes, your aspirations, and really getting confirmation from a group to say, is this where we want to place our investment? So really, to your point, having waymakers at the table that have this clarity about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are we talking about this talent in the same way? Is this talent diverse and is everyone getting the opportunity for us to discuss them? I love that. I think it's an excellent example. You said waymaking, anyone can be a waymaker. What does it look like at the peer level? So we've talked about senior leadership and managers, but how can I be a waymaker as a peer? Yeah. So here's my favorite example of that. CEOs have asked me, why are we stuck? Like we've been talking about this for decades. 
why can't we make more progress? And I go through this in the book, but I say, well, it's because of the fence sitters, right? Any major change we go through, you're going to have some of the people on the front end, like, let's go, let's get it. Others on the back end saying, I like it this way. But the majority of the people are in the middle, sitting on the fence, observing, waiting and seeing, trying to figure out if they have a role to play and if so, what? And in my mind, waymakers as peers can look like, let's say we're in a meeting and there are 10 people in the room and one of them is doing the harming and one of them is being harmed. Mm. Oftentimes in those moments, there are other people in the room who know that what's happening is foul. They know that what was said in that moment was inappropriate or harmful, but they don't intervene. They don't step up and step in because they feel like, what kind of risk is that going to bring on me? But what I try to remind people is the odds are that if there are 10 of you, at least four of you feel that exact same way. And if one of you were courageous enough to intervene in that moment by saying something like, what do you mean by that? Which immediately makes the other person conscious of what they said and responsible for what they said. Mm -hmm. You could shift the entire tenor of that conversation in that room and move the responsibility from being on the shoulders of the harmed, which often happens when someone's harmed, we all look at them like, ooh, what are they going to do? You can shift the responsibility from that person's shoulders to the shoulders of the person who actually performed the act. So that's just one example. But I think if we remember as potential waymakers that we are often not alone in our desire to do something productive, right, and proactive about any kind of situation where a way needs to be made, then I think we would be bolder about doing it. Because you can be the person who tips the scale, right? Who mm-hmm. inspires the other people to be like, yeah, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Absolutely. Are you an upstander? Or are you a bystander? That's right. Yeah. So are you sitting there like waiting for something to happen? <laughs> or are you standing up and saying, I heard this. Let's go back and have this discussion. Mm-hmm. It gives people permission to show up and speak up. And not feel like they have to hide behind pre-existing relationships. Because sometimes people are afraid about harming a relationship. Yes. Maybe there's a power dynamic. That's my boss. I can't exactly. call out my boss. But when, to your point, you have way makers. Right. Plural. Way makers. <laughs> we're going to make this this happen right together. I love that. Yeah. And. What we also learned in the research, the reason I like to use this example is the research told us, which makes sense, that, you know, people sometimes feel unprotected, not just because of what certain folks do, but because of what other people don't do in those moments that matter. Because when you don't interrupt a moment of harm, as this example we're talking about, what you're essentially saying is that that behavior is tolerable. Mm. You're leaving room for it. You're allowing other people who might think the same thing or want to behave in the same way to believe that it is an acceptable way to behave. And so you're actually magnifying that harm in the environment. So it's important. Waymakers believe people should be protected. They see it as a role they can play. 
you know, to offer that air cover or that buffer or that defense. So yeah, just one of many ways that we can show up and help make a way for other people. What we're also learning through you is that waymaking impacts and reinforces inclusiveness. Yes. Do you want to say more about that in terms of it increasing or reinforcing inclusiveness in our workplaces? Absolutely. So sometimes, and I'm sure you've heard this too, sometimes when I go to work with clients or I'm discovering whether I, I want to work with them, you know, they ask me for a manual. Like, can you give us a list of things to say and not say? Like, we want to know what we should say and not say, or we want to know the list of things to do and not do. And I always say that I don't do that because that's not going to be helpful for you. Um, I can never give you an exhaustive enough list that will list every single thing someone somewhere might be offended by. What I can do, however, is share with you and build collaboratively with you a set of principles, right, that inclusive leaders abide by. Things like empathy, fairness, right, as a principle, integrity as a principle. We do what we say we're going to do so we can be who we say we are, right? Courage as a principle, knowing that sometimes leading inclusively is not convenient, it is not popular, it is not easy, but it's still important. So this idea of waymaking is how we create more inclusive cultures because we are intentional in how we move forward and how we lead. We're conscious of the choices we're making every single day and the behaviors, again, that we are exhibiting. As a DEI consultant, Tara's job is to help companies take these broad ideas of fairness and integrity and incorporate them into the culture of the workplace. What I'm seeing happen right now in this space is companies have spent a lot of money and time perfecting their diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. Then they've spent a lot of time, right, revisiting and evaluating their policies and their systems, as they should. Please hear me. I'm not suggesting that is a bad thing to do. But they've spent a lot of time thinking about their policies and their systems. And then they're like, all right, let's go. And you have all these people inside the organization who literally do not know how to translate that beautiful statement and those amazing refined policies into daily choices and behaviors. We need to build capacity in leaders and in every single person in our organization to move in ways that open doors for people, to move in ways that shine a light on dark corners, right? To move in ways that take barriers out of the way and open the playing field so that every single person has an opportunity to contribute fully and fairly. We are not there today partially because we're not giving enough attention and energy and investment in capacity building. So the translation has not yet happened. And it's okay because we are where we are. But to me, that's the next step. Tara says understanding the employee experience is crucial to creating inclusive workplaces. Sometimes we do that by listening sessions. I designed actually an experience survey to meet this need because I realized that we were kind of missing this part of the puzzle. 
So getting a clear sense of the experience is critical because guess what? The experience should inspire your action plan. People sometimes want to move to action. They ask me all the time, what are the best practices? And I say, okay, I can tell you that, but that doesn't mean that those practices are right for you Mm -hmm. because you may be at a different part of your journey. You may not have the same problems, right? That company had, you may not have the same opportunities that company had. So understanding the experience can give way to a set of actions that are right for us, that meet our people where they are, that serve our people in a way they will value and appreciate, right? And then once we kind of understand what great looks like to our people, we can start to imagine collaboratively with others how we might get there. We can build that bridge. We can say, this is how we collectively define great. What has to be true for us to get from where we are to where we want to be. And that may be addressing talent systems. It may be building bridges across differences, right? Bringing people together and facilitating trust building uh, between people who are different. But it will always also mean accountability. So defining equitable and inclusive leadership for your company means defining it according to behaviors and outcomes. It means instituting mechanisms to measure whether or not it's happening and to what degree. And it means holding leaders accountable for the ways they are leading equitably and inclusively or not. Well said. I I think I love this idea of really understanding and being clear, not what we think the employee experience is, right? Not the beautiful employee value proposition or whatever we have, which is important to know what the give and the get. But what are people telling us? You say this, but this is what I'm experiencing when I get to the office. And it might be different from our beautiful banners that we have in our different corporate workplaces. So it's interesting. And I like the examples of how you talk about it. Listening sessions, the survey. Can you give us a little bit of um, just a preview on a few questions that you may ask on the survey that you have or topical that really gets at the heart of the employee experience. Absolutely. So I'm going to try to do this simply. The, The employee experience survey is built around the preferred emotional need states. So people feel seen, respected, valued, and protected. It is also a predictive survey, meaning it will connect dots for companies about, for example, the degree to which people feel valued, right? And what that tells you about your retention situation. Mm. So it connects dots, right, between value and retention, between visibility and talent attraction. It connects dots between respect and a belonging index. It connects dots between protection and innovation, creativity, freedom to contribute. So it's kind of complicated, but a couple of the questions look something like, people often take credit for my work. Mm. That's a visibility issue. That's what we learned in our research. People feel invisible when others take credit for their work. Okay. When it comes to respect, there are questions about I feel like I have to prove, you know, my competence 
to a greater degree than my peers, as an example, right? In a value example, there are items about whether I feel my effort and my reward are matched. Because what we Mm. saw in the research is that people leave companies when they feel overworked and undervalued in combination. And this is important that I say in combination because people are willing to work really hard. They are willing to go above and beyond. It's when they don't feel appropriately rewarded for it that they have a problem and start to consider exiting. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are some examples of just these are the experiences that dictate the quality of the relationship. And it's the quality of the relationship that can lead to a break. Absolutely. This is just such good stuff. The undervalued, maybe overworked. Yeah. You know, not enough recognition, not enough visibility. That's right. The value is pay, promotion and appreciation. That's how they defined it. But now we're seeing a shift. So people have had a couple of years to think about what does work mean for me? Mm-hmm. And we're hearing about the return of people to work in different ways. How can waymaking be an attractor for talent at this point that's Talent that has redefined what work means for them, and it's not their everything. Can I tell you how much I love this question, first of all? (laughs) Here's what I would say. Waymaking is a human-centered way of leading. It is people-centric. Waymakers right now have an opportunity, right? Companies that embrace waymaking as a cultural norm have an opportunity to find out what their people want and need from them as they re-enter the workforce and to genuinely consider the degree to which they can enable that, create cultures that enable what people want and need in a workplace. The reason, this sounds so simple, but the reason it's important is because there are many companies that are still leading in a company-centric way, as in command and control, as in these are our rules, this is how we operate, these are the boundaries, you either work inside the boundaries or you can't be here. They have reasons for that, right? Every single company is afraid of precedent setting. They're scared that somebody's going to want to do something that's going to disrupt their systems and make life hard for them. But I want to say to those people, we are not in a command and control era anymore. I'm sorry, it is over. We are now in a cultivate and collaborate era. And the companies that are willing to lean into collaboration and cultivation will win in the future because their people will feel seen, they will feel respected, they will feel valued, and they will feel protected. This work is not easy, Cindy, as you know, but it's a lot simpler than we give it credit for. So a human-centric leadership style basically says, I'm not going to make this super complicated. Hey, people. What would a great workplace experience look like for you moving forward? What does it sound like? 
What's happening inside it? What adjectives would you use to describe it, right? What experiences would you be having? Like, let's talk about that. And then let me see if I can interpret that, right? And create some synergies so that we can do business successfully and you can work successfully. It is not rocket science. And yet, many of us fail to look at it that way. Well said. I think you have really brought us to understanding the power of waymaking and how it is a critical driver for not just cultivating diverse and inclusive and equitable workplaces, but moving from imperative, moving from commitment to actions. So given that, I always like to leave with a call to action. What do we need to do to way make in our organizations so that we have more diverse, inclusive, and equitable workplace cultures? Yes. So thank you for asking. On a company level, I say run an experience survey or some kind of instrument that's going to help you understand what people are actually experiencing, not what they think about what you think about you. On an individual level, I would say schedule some time with every single person in your charge. Get to know what they aspire to, what they believe they're uniquely good at, and understand the results they have driven to date. Because at the end of the day, when we have people in our charge and we do not share natural affinity with them, and we don't know what they want to do or what they're good at, they virtually have zero chance of advancing under us. Zero. People with whom we share affinity, even if we don't know what they've done, will advance faster than those we know a little about what they've done and do not share affinity with them. That's how powerful proximity bias and affinity bias is. So I always tell leaders the first most important thing you can do is get to know the people in your charge, not just where they were born and you know how many kids they have, but what they aspire to, what they believe they're uniquely good at, and the results they have driven to date. This information will make you a more conscious leader and give you the data you need to start making a way for them. That's our call to action. And we are going to get to know our talent, their aspirations. And then we're going to make a way. We're going to do some way making, right? It has been such a pleasure talking with you. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm energized. I'm going to run out of here. (laughs) I'm just going to run out of here and we're going to make some ways. Go make some ways. We, we we have more work to do. I can't wait for the work that we're going to do together on this. I have to say to everyone listening, if you don't have the book, you have to go out and get it. The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity with Competence and Confidence. Available on all platforms, right? Yep. Everywhere books are sold, yeah. And let's have a way-making movement. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter. I hope you get a copy of Tara's book, The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity 
with competence and confidence. Learn more about MetLife's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion on MetLife.com. All the links are in our show notes. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you also take the time to rate and leave our show a review. Before we go, we'd like to thank our podcast partner, Human Group Media, who helped us produce this show. That's it for today's episode. I hope you join me in the next one.